Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Well, I know we have some kids here today, and I'm wondering if all of you kids might have a favorite storybook. Anybody have a favorite storybook? I don't think it matters if you're 5 or 65. We might have remembrance of favorite storybooks. This was mine. The House on East 88th Street. One person from the last service remembered and knew this book. Loved this book so much. In fact, my mom must have loved it because it was in her bookcase when we cleared out her house. 1964. Smells a little old as well. Loved this book. This was my kid's favorite book. Anybody else? Are you my mother? Yeah. Are you my mother? My kids love this so much. It was always, Mom, read it again. Mom, read it again. And I buy it for a lot of moms who are expecting because I want them to read it to their kids. Then there's this one. This is my granddaughter's current favorite, the glittery crittery. She loves glitter. She loves sparkle. And get ready. Who doesn't love a great pop-up book? She loves this book, and so do I. Then there's this one. It's a fun, catchy kid's story. We love to read it to our children before they go to bed. When I was younger, when my kids were little, we painted it on their nursery walls because it was colorful. Somebody made a song about it. You know the song? The Lord said to Noah. Yep, somebody made a catchy song. And if you had a really great music teacher, you got to act out the parts and you could be a monkey or you could be an elephant. It was a fun, fun, cute song. Noah and the Ark. A sweet story about a bearded old man who took a bunch of animals, put them on a big wooden barge, put them on a river or on a bunch of water, and then floated on that river, that water, for about 40 days and nights. And then miraculously, at the end of that time, a rainbow came out, and they left the boat and lived happily ever after. What a great story. How many of you remember reading that to your kids? Some of you have already checked out. Some of you are like, are you kidding me? You're going to teach us a book, a kid's story at that? The only problem is, is that it's not really a fun story. It's not really a fun story at all. It's one of the most violent and tragic stories in the Bible. It's filled with anguish and pain and judgment. This story that's found in the first book of the Bible In two and a half chapters, it's a real story. It's historical. And there's nothing cute about it at all. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) It's going to get better, I promise you. Anyway, a lot of historians, a lot of professors, a lot of school professors and scientists will spend much time in this portion of the scripture trying to debunk the truth of the story. 
A lot of pastors will center teachings around the flood and all the details explaining why this is true. And if you've never studied the story, I want to encourage you to do so because it's a story worth exploring deeply. Our Sunday school class on Sunday mornings has been spending a lot of time in the book of Genesis. I went to the Ark Encounter. Anybody been there? A lot of fascinating facts and history about the Ark. And again, I'll say this, it's more than a story about a big boat floating on the water that served as a floating zoo for a bunch of animals. But I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there with the history. I'm not going to go there with the flood. Because as I started walking through Genesis recently, I got stuck on the guy named Noah. I got stuck on who he was. I got stuck on his reaction to God's call on his life. I got stuck on his reaction to the culture in which he was living. And you may or may not know this. But if you brought pen and paper, if you're taking notes, you might want to write these references down because Noah was talked about in more than just the book of Genesis. Noah is talked about in the genealogy of the nation of Israel, in the book of First Chronicles. He's talked about in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, in the book of Ezekiel, and again in the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews, chapter 11. Noah is referred to as one of the guys who, by faith, did what God asked him to do. And then yet again in the book of First and Second Peter. So that's pretty significant, I think. He wasn't just a small character in the Bible. And then to top all that off, Jesus refers to Noah when he's teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives about his return. The scripture says in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So what I want to do today is I want to dig into this guy a little bit. I want to dig into the character of Noah because I think that there's probably some things that we can learn from him. I think there's some things, and I pray that there are some things, that would cause us to take pause. I know they certainly, I've certainly taken pause and looked at my own life in studying this guy named Noah. So we're going to find this in the book of Genesis chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, open them there or your Bible app or the screen, starting at verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
So who was this guy Noah? Who was he? Well, if you study him, you learn that his dad was named Lamech. We know that, that he was a good guy, that he had three sons, three sons, that he lived in the midst of a culture that was wicked, a culture that was corrupt. No different, really, than the culture that we live in today. The text says in verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And if you look up the word righteous in the dictionary, it defines it as morally right or justifiable. The Hebrew word is sadiq, and it means saintly or correct. And then the text also says that he was blameless, that Noah was a blameless guy. And the term blameless, well, it's used in scripture just a few times, and it's referred to people who are exceptionally obedient to God. Job, Job, some of you know Job. Job was called blameless. Zacharias and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's dad and mom, they were called blameless and I think it's, it's important to remember that this doesn't mean that he was perfect because he wasn't. Don't confuse that because being blameless and righteous does not mean that someone is absolutely perfect. Noah wasn't. Only Jesus, only Jesus ever accomplished that. By character and reputation, however, Noah was exceptional. He was an exceptional guy. So I want you to think about it. Think about what life had to be like for Noah. Think about what life had to be like for a guy named Noah who is living in the midst of a world that God says, I wish I would have never created them. The scripture says the Lord regretted he had made human beings. It says his heart was troubled. And Noah, Noah has to bear the, the weight of the entire human race. He has to bear the weight of God's sadness for ever creating people, animals. Because it says no one, no one was following the Lord. What would that have been like for Noah? How did everything go astray in just six chapters? You ever wonder that? Six chapters in, six chapters into the Bible, we read in chapter one that God's created the earth and it's good. It's beautiful. And then just six chapters later, everything is gone awry and Noah and his family are living in the midst of this. And God's given the people over 1600 years to change. Did you know that? Over 1600 years, they've had an opportunity to change, to start following God, but they didn't. And just like Jake said, sometimes I feel a little heavy when I look around me and I look at what's going on in the world and I listen to the news feeds and I read the social social feeds and I feel a little bit like Noah. Like, seriously, is there anything good around me? And sometimes my viewpoint of our culture in which we live can be more cynical than optimistic. But I try not to hang there because then I read stories like Noah and I asked myself, God, would you find me righteous? Ask yourself that. God, would you find me righteous? Would you choose me to do something like build a boat? Would you, would you put me on the boat? Would you pick me, pick me, God, just like in the movie Shrek, the donkey. Pick me, God. I wonder, would he pick me? Would he pick my family? 
And dad's here today. Think about this. Think about this on this day that we celebrate you as dads. There's immense responsibility to be a dad, to be a dad who's a Christ follower. And here's the beautiful thing. You can choose to be righteous. You can choose to follow God. You can choose to lead your family as the spiritual head of your home and not leave it up to your wife. You can choose to be a godly man and a godly woman, just like Noah. And he had to be, right? His kids joined him on the boat. That says a lot about who Noah was as a dad, as a husband. And friends, even though we lived in this messed up world, there is a way to be righteous. There is a way to be blameless and to let our light shine in the darkness. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do as Christ followers. The book of Matthew says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And so therefore, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, you are the light. We are the light. And every single time, light dispels darkness. Every single time, without doubt, it's a proven fact, light dispels darkness. So let's be the light. Let's be the light. Well, God found Noah righteous, and now Noah has to choose if he's going to be obedient. He has to choose if he's going to be obedient to this huge assignment that God has given him. God says, make yourself an ark of cypress wood, Noah. And then God goes on to give Noah the exact blueprint for this ark. He gives him the specific materials that he's to use. And Noah, rather than saying, God, you got the wrong guy. God, I don't think so. I've never picked up a hammer before. I don't know if he said that or not. But rather than say, no, God, Noah chooses obedience over fear. Because verse 22 says, God, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Listen, church, obedience causes us to face our fears. Causes us to face our fears. To face our fears of rejection, to face our fears of failure, of criticism, to face our fears. Now listen, I think there's some things that it's okay to be afraid of. I am terrified of cockroaches. I do not like cockroaches. You will never find me on an episode of Survivor eating a tarantula. Never. I think you should be, Sean, I'm sorry, be okay with being afraid of a tarantula or a cockroach. But I give this guy Noah credit because he faced his fears. He faced the fears of the criticizing people around him. Hey, Noah, what are you doing there? Looks like you're building a really big boat. Yeah, Jim, it's it's a big boat. It's a big boat. I got a lot of wood here. Uh, why is such a big boat, Noah? Like, how big is it going to be? Well, Jim, you could put three space shuttles on this ark, actually. Really? Why so big? Well, because I'm going to put animals on it. I'm going to put a lot of animals on it. Noah, what... What kind of animals are you going to put on it? Well, seven 
kinds, seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, uh, one kind of every unclean animal, um, seven pairs of every kind of creature and bird. And, uh, Noah, Noah, whoa, you're, you're doing what? Uh, what else did God tell you to do? Well, Jim, he wants me to tell you that he loves you. He loves you. And maybe, just maybe, if you turn from your wicked ways, if you turn towards God, maybe you'd be surprised at what he'd do in your life. God wants me to tell you that. Noah, you're crazy. Noah, you're crazy. Build your darn boat. Nobody likes to be called crazy, do they? No one likes to be called crazy. I was called crazy once, maybe more than once. I was called crazy once. Chuck left, so you can't talk to him. This is a true story. Several years ago, I decided to buy myself a purple van. Actually, isn't that beautiful? It is so, it is so ugly. Anyway, I made the mistake of picking the color off a little tiny swatch from the car dealership. I was working for a company that I got a new vehicle every three years, and I picked this color. I was so excited, and we drove up to Ames to get it and pulled into the parking lot, and I saw this rose mist van, as my son politely reminded me the other day. And I thought to myself, what in the world have I done? And my husband said, what in the world have you done? I am not going to be seen driving that ugly rose mist van. And he did everything possible for three years to never drive that van. Well, the thing is, didn't have a choice. I'd bought it. So we took it home. And about two or three weeks later, I drove it over to the grocery store early in the morning. This is pre-cell phone days, but it has some electronics on it. And I, I got in the car and I turned it on and I'm pretty sure I put it in gear. I put it in gear somehow and everything started flashing. Everything started going crazy. And I tried to take it out of gear and I couldn't. And my draw, my beautiful purple van is driving forward in the parking lot and I'm trying to reverse it and stop it and do anything and nothing was happening. And the thing was I had parked by this great big huge cement light pole and my van was just slightly like this, parked by it. And as I, my van was doing this berserk crazy thing, the light pole took the entire passenger side of my van from front to back. Crunch. And I'm sitting in my van going, what's going on? I'm trying to stop it, trying to figure it out. Finally, I came to my senses and I thought, oh, shut it off. Shut it off. So I shut it off. Couldn't call my husband, no cell phone. And I thought to myself, my husband's going to think I'm crazy. My husband's going to kill me. And I drove home. My husband didn't kill me, but he did say, Julie, you're crazy. Like, vans don't drive themselves. Vans don't, like, just go into gear and go forwards. And, like, that doesn't happen. And I said, Chuck, this really happened. I am not crazy. I took it to the car dealer. The car dealer said, lady, there is nothing wrong with your van. You're crazy. And for the next many months, I was trying to convince them that this really did happen. The thing was, to my defense... There were several other other things that happened to this van. 
during the lifetime in which I owned it, which was pretty fleeting. And so I know what it's like to be called crazy. And it doesn't feel very good. And the thing is, there is nothing in this story that says they thought he was crazy. We've written that into the story, right? We've written that into the story. But seriously, how does somebody week after week month after month, year after year, build this big, huge boat, big enough such that it would hold three space shuttles and not have people around town think you're crazy. I don't think he was probably the most popular guy in town. And what did Noah do? What did Noah do knowing that every single day he was facing rejection and criticism from those around him in his community? But Noah kept the course. He, he knew the truth. He stayed the course. He knew that he was God's plan to redeem the world. So he stayed the course. And during this time, certainly he was sharing the love of God with people around him. Certainly he was sharing God's love and mercy. And nobody believed him. Because nobody but his sons and their wives and his wife were on the boat. What did that feel like? time and time again to share of God's love and to be rejected. Well, you know, following God's commands, following his plan for our lives, it's not easy. And I think too many Christians have a commitment of convenience. We stay faithful, we stay committed as long as it's safe, as long as it doesn't involve risk or rejection or criticism. And obedience, well, in my experience, it's seldom comfortable And it's seldom convenient. What do you do when you get discouraged? What do you do when you share the love of Christ with someone and they reject you? What do you do when you know that you know that God's telling you to do something? And someone says, you're crazy. You're doing what? How do you respond? Well, Noah finished the boat. Noah finished the boat. And the text says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heaven were opened. And Noah and his family and all of the animals, all the kinds of animals and birds, well, they entered the ark, and then the Lord shut them in. Noah doesn't say Noah shut the door. It says the Lord shut him in. And then it began to rain and it rained and it rained some more and it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights. And for some of you, as you hear this story, you are brought back to vivid memories of isolation during COVID. And you thought this is going to be fun. This is going to be amazing. We'll homeschool the kids. We'll work from home. We won't ever have to get dressed. My wife will learn how to cut my hair, and I'll save all kinds of money. And then your kids join in. And the thing was, it wasn't so much fun, was it? And I think it's one thing to be made fun of for years for building a boat in your front yard, but I think it's an entirely another thing to be facing the reality that you're stuck in this boat and to know that everyone around you is perishing. To know that your friends, 
to know that the kids that your kids played with, to know that the teachers that your kids learned from in school, to know that the guy at the local market, to know that this place where you worshiped, that everything around you was demolished, that everything was being wiped away. And I imagine that Noah and his family were in the boat and they had their ears covered and they were praying that the animals would be loud so they didn't have to hear the people outside. And I would imagine that they wanted to climb to the top deck and they wanted to get some fresh air, but they knew they couldn't and they wouldn't because they knew everything around them was being wiped off the face of the earth. And we forget this part of the story. We forget this part of the story because I don't think we like to think about a God who judges. We don't. I'd rather think about my loving, kind, gracious, good God. We don't want to think about a God who judges, who punishes. But he is a God who judges. Revelation 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened. It was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now listen, he is a good and loving and gracious and merciful and kind God. He is, but in the Noah story, we're reminded, we're reminded that this is much more than a fun story about an old man with white hair who took his family and some animals on a boat for a trip. He is a loving God. He's also a God who judges. Well, the scripture goes on. And telling us that for 40 days the flood came. It kept coming on the earth and the waters increased and they lifted the ark high above the earth. It says again, the waters rose and they increased greatly on the earth, on the earth and the ark, but it floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains four times. In just four verses, we get a sense of what's happening here. We get a sense that this isn't a small flood, that this is a life-changing, life-shattering flood that changes the course of all mankind. And all the while, all the while, Noah and his family, they're on the boat. And they're living through the knowledge of the devastation that's happening outside. And all the while... He's persevering the storm. He's persevering the storm. And you know, nobody, nobody who walks on this earth is exempt from storms. No one is exempt from seasons of life when it feels like the water's coming at you this way and then it's coming this way and then it's coming up again and it's pounding down on top of you. There are seasons in life that sometimes feel like that. A health diagnosis, a death of someone close to you, a lost job, difficulty trying to figure out how you're going to put enough gas in your gas tank. There are seasons 
When life is hard and it feels like we're getting pounded on. Noah is an example for me. Noah is an example because he stays the course, even though he doesn't know the outcome. And I think that often our character is developed, that we are refined. There's scripture that talks about the refiner's fire. God does something in us in those seasons, in those storms. Noah stayed the course, and so too should we. Well, storybooks, we all have a favorite. This was mine. The house on East 88th Street. Lyle the Crocodile was such a great house guest in this home. And then, Are You My Mother?, A bird's quest to try to find out his mom after he falls out of the nest. I highly recommend it. And then there's this one. The glittery crittery. My granddaughter's favorite because she loves glitter and pop-up stories. And here's the deal. Even though... Even though the Noah story is not so much of a light, fun story, it's still my favorite story. It's still one of my favorite stories in the book of the Bible. Because because in Noah, we see about this guy's obedience, this man's godly obedience, and how he brought salvation to others because of following God. God could follow through with his plan. It's a story of how one man's obedience brought God's plan to fruition. Noah's obedience saved his family. Saved his family. And then his obedience allowed God to bring the Messiah, Jesus Christ, so that he could walk on earth and then be obedient unto death for the salvation of the world. And that's why I love this story. And church, it's important to remember That we, God's people, we, God's church, are God's primary tool to reach the world. We are God's primary tool to tell others about Jesus. To tell this broken world about Christ. We, God's people. Scripture says in Romans 10, read this with me. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Friends, the world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. The world doesn't need just the big guy upstairs. The world needs Jesus. And we have a world that I don't think wants to hear the truth. I think we live in a world that doesn't know that there's hope. And we have the privilege of telling people about the hope of Jesus Christ. And I'll say it again. It's our job. We are his primary tool. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. It's up to us. And I encourage you when you leave here today, to pray and ask God, who needs to hear about Jesus? Not in a slam it down their throat way, but in a gentle, kind, 
loving. I care about you. I love you. In a way that says, maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you need Jesus. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.